In a world filled with questions, there's one role that often leaves us searching for the right words, parenting. Introducing What to Say When, a podcast that equips parents with tools to navigate the beautiful and challenging journey of raising children. Together, we'll explore a wide range of topics from handling tough conversations to nurturing resilience to helping you become a confident and compassionate parent. What to say when. Because the right words can make all the difference. All right. Is it okay to say that this is the last episode of the season? Like, are we acknowledging that? Is that okay? Yep. Uh-huh. All right. True. So welcome last to the very last episode of this particular season of What to Say When. If you're tuning in for the first time ever, we've got seven more of these that came before today <laughs> that you can go back and listen to while you wait for a second season if you're interested at all. The reason it's called What to Say When is because we all need to know what to say when our kids come home having heard a new vocabulary word at school or having a new friend say something that they've never heard of before or when the world just throws something at us that's so different that we feel like we need to have that scripted conversation. And even more than that, it's just about what things are important and what things we need to be driving home. Um, and I'm glad we got to this one because yes. there's no more important conversation than the one we'll have right. today because it's about nurturing gospel conversations in your home. What is it that we say about Jesus? How do we talk about salvation? What does it mean to help our children take steps of faith? And so I'm excited about it. I'm glad to have you guys here. I'm Nick, joined by Chase and Jen. Missing Kathy this week because she joined us for two previous podcasts all about counseling. Go back and listen to those that are about self-worth. But today, yeah. we're talking about the gospel with former family ministry teammates yeah. together. Hey. I love it. OG. OG family OG, that's right. I went to a wedding a couple weekends ago. Okay. I forget how bad my social anxiety Did you sing is. at it? No. Oh, I you just were just attending. attending. Okay. I was horrible. I was horrible what do you at, mean? at talking with people. Really? I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do with my hands. I'm like, yeah, I'm is terrible this the question? Nights. Is this the how question you about to ask us? How do you do with get-togethers, social get-togethers, weddings? Are you good at them? I feel like you both are, but tell me, tell me about it. How do you do? Nick? How do you interact with people? I need a role. Like and I you and need I, go into the moment with a role with, with the whatever party. my role is, okay. and that's why I asked you: Are you are, there, are you the wedding singer that event? Which is <laughs> makes run me the movie. But like I, if I'm the the pastor or the you know the prayer or whatever I am that day, if I'm if I'm doing something and I have a role, I feel far more mm-hmm. confident mm-hmm. than when I'm just going into a scenario like, what's Hi, the here. social dynamic? I'm here. Yeah, I'm I'm really not good at parties. Yeah. If I'm I'm. If I don't have a role, I really step into a situation. I'm awkward. I feel like I'm awkward anyway. I feel <laughs> like I don't know what to say Jim, or should what we to tell do. Him? Should we tell him? <laughs> do, you, do y'all know this about me? Though? No. Um, You're very but negative. I, I'm also in, I feel like I'm an introvert in a lot of ways and um, extrovert on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I can turn yeah. it on. I mean, ob- obviously I could turn on, uh, you know, with a with a party, but especially if I'm going to a party with a bunch of people I don't know, I'm super, like, I feel like I'm awkward. I mean, I could probably do it, but I, I feel like in those situations, I don't, I'm trying to find my place all the time. And, yeah. Uh, and so, does that make sense? Yes, the find your place, and you said you need a role. Need I am role. the same way. If I'm not hosting that event or, like, the person that brought some of those people together, yep. 
I don't. I need the organizer find my, of Michael it. W. Smith. I need to find my place in this world. Yeah. I don't well, know where. <laughs> Do you find that people make assumptions about you because you're yes. somebody that's not? I'm not afraid of public speaking. I'm a pastor. I mean, like that's so they just assume yes. that because you're comfortable on a stage, you're very extra. That you want sure. to be the center of attention. Circles. I and, feel like y'all were with me after this event. I said this yeah. to a group of people. I was at a wedding. I had so I was like social anxiety, and they were like, "What you?" You're so extroverted. I said, yeah. no, Mm-mm. they're different. They're, they're different, different parts of so me. Different. They're different. Yeah, I get it. It's hard. It's really hard. Okay, I have tips. Can I share tips yes, today? Yes, please. <laughs> I'm ready. Yeah. Okay. Well, I need sure. them. I'm going to write them down. Here we go. Okay, because after, well, maybe not for y'all. This is for our listeners. Because after that, I walked away with like, Jen, you need to be better in social situations. So I looked up some tips. Here they are. When you're at an event like that, you're trying to figure out how to talk with people around you. Here's number one. Ask open-ended questions. And honestly, this is great for our kids too. So not okay. something that ends in a yes or no, but ask a question that starts with a why, how, or what do you think about okay. X, Y, Z. Okay. okay. That will get them saying more than yes or no or a sentence. Listen and respond. Ask follow-up questions. Chase, how was your day? Great. What did you uh, eat for breakfast this morning? Nothing. Tell me more about that. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, I get it. That's your fault. My, that's my follow-up. That I wasn't a great example. He's going to tell you that he's intermittent fasting, and then you're going to be like, well, tell me more about tell that. Tell me more yeah, about yeah. that. that I love that. I've heard about fasting. that. I, I want to eat a big lunch. Big lunch. Today. Okay. <laughs> Learn to share about yourself. Okay. We can usually do that. We can kind of talk about ourselves. We know what, what's going mm-hmm. on in our world. And then ask questions about, you can ask questions about work, but then venture into other topics. So what are you doing for fun these days? Okay. What are your hobbies? What does your family like to do together? If you know their family, ask about extended family. Ooh. There's your tips. Okay. That'll get you going in the next party, get together, wedding, whatever it is. So you feel awkward like we do. Yeah. Carry these with Ask you. questions and listen. All right. So that's a really good segue because this week we're talking about the gospel and the idea of asking open-ended questions. Because our kids, yep. conversation starters, because yep. they're going to say things about... Hey, I want to follow Jesus, or I want to be baptized, because those are the things that they've seen. And uh, we know a lot of our listeners are raising their kids in church, and they have this desire for their kids to know and follow Jesus, and so they're going to be excited in that moment. But you got to lean in and ask good questions. Tell me why, or what do you understand yes. that means? Oh, that's and you want to celebrate it along the way, but you want to be the parent who's making the assessment what my kid really knows and understands in this moment. Yeah, yeah. About what it means to be a Christ that, follower. That's so good. So knowing where to start, obviously, and. Um, I, I think when we lay out the gospel plan, we start from the very beginning, right? And and when we talk about the gospel, before we get to explanation of sin and the, the wrong things and the disobedience, let's start with God's love. Let's start with His creation and how He created us. And we go from all the way to Him creating uh, man and woman. And at the end, He said, man, this is very good. And I enjoy a relationship with my people. This is how it's intended to be in the yeah. garden. And from that point on, we obviously have to address the elephant in the room. We have to address uh, Genesis chapter 3. So with that, um, Nick, you did such a great job explaining this. Um, can you tell us more about your ex- how you explain um, this? Sin. I know. Thanks for telling me that I'm good at calling my sins. Yeah, you guys are dirty, rotten sinners. <laughs> you need forgiveness. You're so good um, at that. And that's the truth of it is. And I think... Our kids knowing and being a part of church and being a part yeah. of life, it's a life-giving community, and they're going to want to be a part of it, um, but until they understand their need for forgiveness, and you don't understand your need for forgiveness apart from an understanding of sin. And so we explain really clearly, yes, it's the stuff that you do and think and say and don't do and don't say. and It is the, the actions, but it's really part yep. of your nature. 
that we are separated from God because of our sin and in need of his forgiveness. And so the difference between needs and wants, I mean, we could do a podcast on materialism and helping our kids navigate what those things are. With salvation, with the idea of the gospel, it's a need and want conversation. They may want to know Jesus. They may want to take a transactional step of baptism, which we know is not part of your salvation story. It's the step that you take after it. However, we want to dive deeper to understand, do they really understand without this gift of forgiveness, I'm doomed? Yep. Um, and so we're in that boat. So we want to have a conversation about sin. Yeah, yeah. And so until they understand the magnitude of your sin, you mm-hmm. can't understand the greatness of God's grace and what yeah. he did through through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Um, and then, then I think uh, helpful tools for parents out there is we talk about the Roman road a lot. Yeah. You know, if you go to the book of Romans, you can trace it out and it walks you through just um, the the idea of how do you receive salvation? How do you actually, you know, from Romans 3.23, for all sin falls short of the glory of God. Then Romans 6.23, for the wage of the sin is death, but but the free gift of God is eternal life. Through, it's almost through like Christ how Jesus. is something that good applied to me? Right. How do I get it? Yeah. And then uh, I believe it's Romans 10.9, 10.9, mm-hmm. uh, not 9.10, 10, 10.9, for you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that he the the resurrection, then you will be saved. And so I think um, there is a pathway for them understanding the gospel, and it's going to look different for every child in their their level of understanding when they understand. And the idea for us is as we have this conversation is not forcing. I think the forcing, um, you go back to the 90s, the 80s and 90s, and this is what we saw a lot of is like forcing this, hey, um, uh, you know, hellfire and brimstone and, and those kind of things, but, but guiding them instead of forcing, guiding them to, um, to conversations about who Jesus is and what Jesus did and, and salvation and how you get salvation. And, um, that's what I tell parents all the time. We have conversations with parents all the time about their kiddos and, and where they are on their, their faith journey. And they want so badly, like, especially when they attend a baptism class and I get it. Is it, man? Uh, we just want to, we just get want to get them dunked, because if we can get them in that baptistry, then all is good. We don't have to worry about anything else. Instead of allowing them, and the the end result here, guys, is for our kids to own their own faith, yeah. not force faith on them. Um, um, we see historically when you force faith, faith is fading. For force faith, if faith it's fades, fake faith. It's fake faith. And so w- when we can own, help our kids own their faith and be able to articulate for themselves what they believe, why they believe it, and make it their decision, uh, the, the, you know, that paves the way for a, a strong, mature faith when they well, get older. And, and what we teach, what we believe, what we know to be true about Scripture is that even faith is a gift. Right. Faith is the gift of God, uh, not by works, so right. that no one can boast. Like it even being applied to our lives, us even being awakened to the idea of Jesus is so good. He died in my place. I want to place my trust in him is a gift of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I think we can take it all the way back to the beginning. And we don't, we don't feel like we connect ourselves very much with the population of people around the Protestant Reformation, but you've got a very illiterate church. Why? Because people didn't read and write. And if they didn't read and write, it didn't even matter because they didn't have copy of scripture in their own language. And so it was really up to the priesthood at this time. And you got the Catholics who are walking through all these things, and infant mortality rate was insane, and so people are asking, what happened to my baby that just died? 
And so, oh, well, now we're baptizing dead infants because baptism was believed to be salvific in that moment if your child wasn't baptized. So infant baptism rates, I mean, skyrocketed. Right. we got to get my baby baptized because infant mortality rate is high. It may wow, die. Like yeah. He or she is gone, and I want to make sure that they're baptized so that they're spending eternity with Jesus. And all of that came to view when Martin Luther talks about justification by faith alone. Yep. Faith alone. So we know that that baptism moment is not salvific, whether your kid has had it or not. But then you fast forward, you know, several hundred years later, and churches that are really proud of not practicing an infant baptism and ascribing a salvation moment to that are baptizing three- and four-year-olds. Right. And, and maybe there's that moment where a toddler is expressing saving faith in Jesus, but by and large, it's the same illiterate fear of parents that want to make sure that my baby has made that transition. Right. Um, and so, yeah, there's, a, there's this internal pressure that we feel because we want our kids to experience this, um, and we want them to place even a childlike faith in Christ, but we want it to be a sustaining faith. Mm -hmm. And so how we approach this conversation and how we have it over a long time is really, really important. And there's lots of reasons why. What age do we say here at Rolling Hills, at least, or in our church, that we think a kiddo kind of moves from regurgitating information to really understanding we're really reticent no to assign a specific right. yeah, yeah, yeah. age, but, but we say, what? but we do say around seven, yeah. seven or eight years old yeah. is that moment. And honestly, you know, we can have a lot of childhood development conversations around this because it, in most from, ways, girls get there first, right? And that move from concrete, Contra concrete to abstract, to abstract yeah, thought, yeah, yeah, because it is an abstract concept. It is um, the idea of. Jesus Christ that you can't see and feel who died thousands of years ago and came back to life all of a sudden being in charge of you and his death thousands of years ago being applied to your life. That's Those are abstract. The idea of him coming and living in your heart, which we we try to deter people from. Honestly, we've got a lot of kids, and I remember them all coming up to I'm asking Jesus into my heart. Right. What does that mean? Right. Does he need a couch? Like, am, right, is, there, is right. there a moving truck that's going to go in? Like, that's right. how does he fit in there? Like, I'm a concrete thinker. Mm -hmm. What is that? Does he sleep there? Does he eat there? Like, where's the, like, what? That's a concrete yet an abstract concept. Like, how do we deal with that? And it's also something that scripture doesn't say for us. Yeah. I don't want to burst anybody's bubble, but scripture doesn't say to us, ask Jesus into yeah. your heart. So what's the alternative? What That's are a, some of the... Jesus to be Lord and Savior of my life. Yep. And, and that can certainly mean that for us. Yeah. But the, the concept of, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anybody lets me in, that's where we get that right. idea. Yep. Yep. But it's not so much this moment of, I'm going to ask Jesus into my heart. I'm going to ask him to forgive my sins. Yeah. I'm going to ask him to be the Lord and the Savior of my life. And I'm going to commit myself to following myself. him. Yeah. One of the That's things I do love that that we do is that uh, speaking to the the age difference and oh, yeah. is that we do have young kids because we have kids that grow up in church mm -hmm. and they they do love Jesus and they want to express that our baptism classes I love that we have a resource that you yes. get when you're there so it's not like the next Sunday you're picking to be baptized you get a resource you and you resource. get to walk, walk through, through. Yep. the gospel right. with and your it's parents a baptism and, with your and belief class yes. yes what do you believe yes the, and so you you can extend that conversation for yeah. as long as you need until you realize okay my kids really have are under yeah, are yeah. owning their faith and that's my my encouragement to any parent out there even if your kids asking questions it doesn't mean they're going to be baptized yeah take them to a baptism class because in the baptism class you open up the door for more conversation yes. and we say in the baptism class look 
uh, this may be a longer journey. It may be a month from now or it may be two years from now yeah. that they make a decision to actually follow through with baptism. But and that's I, okay. It's yeah, okay. It and w- what I love about it, um, I led a baptism class just recently, and, and so parents were around tables with their kiddos, and we had a, they had to fill in a word bank. So they gave a like a fill in the blank and then the definition. They had to match the word with... And it was so interesting to see parents even process through what these words, definitions of these words, and the conversations that happen around the table was so good. Yeah. And those are the kind of conversations that you should be having. You know, just that just, you know, whether that's, hey, what is communion? What is ordinance? What is what is baptism? What is sin? What is, you know, repentance and confession and, and those kind of things? So it's, it was it's it's really good. I love the idea that parents are also getting a theological education in those moments. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of times as moms and dads, and what we've experienced in the life of the church is we we outsource a lot of things. You know, our kids go to school, and that's yep. where they learn math. They go to dance, and that's where they learn rhythm. They go to piano, and that's where they learn music. They go to baseball, and that's where they learn throwing. Like, they, we outsource a lot of things. Those are all wonderful things. We also want to outsource faith. I take them to church, and the pastors and the volunteers teach them about Jesus and do Bible stories. Well, we want you to be a part of that conversation. And part of that is having those conversations about your own salvation story. When did you recognize that you were a sinner, that you needed God's forgiveness, that you took those steps? And Chase, what you mentioned about the, the gap between attending the class or even having the salvation moment and being ready for baptism, it's okay if that's if that's elongated a right, little bit. Right. Um, how many moments did we have in student ministry, any of us having conversations with you know, 16, 17-year-olds that are at a point of crisis, and you're talking about the gospel and say, well, tell me when you became a Christian. Tell me when you expressed faith in Jesus. And they immediately attach it to the concrete. I was baptized in third grade. That's great, but tell me when you recognize your sin, you confessed it to the Lord, declared your faith in Jesus. And they may not remember that, especially if they were super close together. I can say I broke my arm in kindergarten. Well, did I break it in September of kindergarten? Was it still broken in May? No, but in my mind, that 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 event happened in that one year of my life. We want to get some distance between those two things so that kids aren't growing up attaching their salvation to a thing they did, mm. because it's what Christ did, mm. not what we did. And so that makes a big difference. We talk a lot about grace and the idea of it's grace that's applied to us. And I think there's a lot of there's a lot of law. We want our kids to behave well. We want them to follow rules. We want them to do certain things. We want them not to do certain things. Like there's there's definitely a behavior modification that we're dealing with all the time as parents, you know, telling our kids, no, don't touch that. No, you can't have that. No, we have to wait for that. Yes, we need to do this. Yes, we and and that's the character that we're trying to develop. And it's Christ-like character. And yet somehow or another, we can attach, if I do these things, Jesus will love me. Mm. If I act this way, God will be my friend. And we want to say, nope, it's not what we did. It's not what we earned. It's not because we were dunked, but because Christ died. Right. Because Christ lives, that we can be forgiven. And so anything that we do has to separate the idea of works and grace. That's right. So it makes that's, a big difference. That's so good. So how do we practically do that and ensure that our kids understand the sacrifice? Yeah. Well, I love I love talking about the fact that it, it's a story. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think we always point out the the Jesus Storybook Bible, yes. especially with young so kids. Good. When we're talking, that was the one that we used a lot um, with our children. We still do with our three year old, 
And it paints this beautiful picture of Jesus throughout all of Scripture, through every Bible story and every every telling um, of different characters in the uh-huh. Bible. And I and I love kind of grasping onto that because you know our kids, we love stories. We love, love stories. We love books. We love movies. We love things that tell a story. Things that cap- captivate us. And kids absolutely love that, especially at that younger age. Um, how how do we apply what we experience in a movie or in a book or something like that to storytelling to telling the gospel? Chase, I know you had you had something yeah, yeah. that you had read. Yeah, I mean, even if you look throughout Scripture, that every every Bible story story is connected to the gospel. Yeah. David and Goliath, parable yes. of the prodigal son. You got Daniel and Lions Den. All these all stories. But uh, recently, I read from a gospel curriculum writer, and uh, she she wrote this. Um, she said, "Tell me about a time." When you were a little girl, um, she asked my mother time to time again growing up, there was something amazing and soothing, something funny and wonderful about hearing my mother or father tell my, uh, tell me stories about their own lives. I listened in rapture to hear about the things they thought, they fit, felt, uh, wanted when they, they were a child. Very few things made me feel closer to my parents than listening to tales of my mom being a principal's daughter or or what it meant for my dad to be the youngest of three brothers, which I am. Mm. Uh, As a child, I wanted to believe that my parents were willing and able to take care of me. But more than that, I needed to to know that they had been through the same kinds of problems and joys and fears and excitements that I experienced daily as a child. And the truth is, they could have told me plainly that they knew what I was going through. They could have explained exactly the kinds of emotions that they dealt with, but instead they told me stories. Praise God they told me stories. And then she goes on to say, children need stories to give context to the things that they learn. It's the reason why mm-hmm. um, is such a popular question for young children. They want to, to construct a framework for what happens when they make different choices. They want to know the background of the story and their place in it. Stories provide more information. It provides understanding. And in church, information without understanding is a rest recipe for legalism. Legalism. I know. I'll say that one more time. I'll say that again. In church. And in church, information without understanding is a recipe for legalism. Legalism. People in the past. Yes. Legalism, in turn, will either drive away frustrated kids or cause desperate clinging clinging to the structures and traditions of the church rather than the head of it. That's the gospel story. Mercy. That's really good. That's really good. I love. I just love storytelling. I love that quote. I, I think it's so beautiful and so powerful. And I love the idea that kids, the reminder that kids and adults, and honestly, adults. need yep. need stories, need stories to grasp on to a concept. But man, that quote that you had at the end, uh-huh. the fact that if we don't understand it, if we don't understand the why, leads there's no, it leads to legalism because there's no buy-in. There's yep. no, pr- again, right. like we said earlier, you're just regurgitating what you've been told at some point. That's so good. That's an incredible, I think one of the, the features that we have to love about scripture the most is that in the story, they didn't shy away from telling us about really bad people. Mm. Like if I'm presenting an argument, I'm going to give you all the positive things. Like, Mm. you know, the infomercials that you watch, they're not telling you about the side effects. They're telling you about all the great ways that this product is going to change your life. The Bible doesn't do that. Like it gives us picture time, time, time again of people that were just utter failures. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and that's because it wasn't about their success story. Uh-huh. It was about the character uh-huh. of God. Wow. And you learn about the character of God, not because you memorized a verse that says God is love, but you learn about it from a story 
where he loved somebody that was unlovable mm -hmm. or he used somebody that was really weak. Mm -hmm. Like there's incredible richness to that. And mm -hmm. I think that's how yeah. the gospel's best portrayed. Scripture says in First Corinthians, this gives us this picture of like, hey, these things happened as examples for us so that we wouldn't desire evil as they did and so that we would know God, mm -hmm. know how to walk in it. The end of John gives us all like, see, Jesus did a whole lot more stuff that's written, but these are written so that you might have faith. Yeah. And that's what we want. Like these stories that we get yeah. are to help our kids have faith. And I think part of it is just creating a curiosity. What's God like? Yeah. What does this story mean? Why is that even in the Bible? Yeah. Because it gives us something about God that we wouldn't have if we didn't have this story. Yeah. And if you believe your story's worth telling, tell it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I think a lot of times we um I don't know. I don't know if we you've shared your your gospel story with your children, but um but they need to hear it. They yeah. need to hear it. They need to hear all the ups and downs. They need to hear all the nuances to your story and um, within within reason, within appropriate ages. But I think, um, depending on what your story is, mm -hmm. but I think stories are so powerful whenever you when it comes down to it. Yeah, that's something I was wanting to touch on too, just the idea that um, we can tell our kids about yeah. our background, about story. And that's what you, you were reading in that top of that quote is the, the mom is telling her kids about when she was a little girl. We tell, we tell them those stories about, I remember when we used to go shopping at the grocery store on the street. I remember when we used to, et cetera, et cetera. How are we weaving in stories of our, of our faith when we're telling our kids about these things? And that's part of the, you know, the baptism belief class to the moment where they decide to believe or to be baptized. Um, the, that space there, that's that time where we can have those conversations sitting around the table when you're going through that word bank that you were talking yes. about. Yeah. How are we telling them about, I remember when. I got to do this. I remember when I learned about Jesus for the first time. I remember when. I or love this that. This is how I learned about Jesus. Mm -hmm. This is who I learned from. These are the questions that, that I, I had. asked. These are the doubts yeah. that I experienced. These are the challenges that were present for me. Or even these are the things that I learned. And then a careful reading of scripture, I came to understand that it was really different. Mm. And I kind of relearned it. And God shaped me in a new way because... That's I met good. a college roommate, and I learned that it wasn't about the rules that I followed. I learned that it was about the God who loved me. I learned about the idea of forgiveness. Um, Horace Bushnell, I love to say that name just because it sounds Bushnell. so fun. It's, once you once you learn it, you never forget it because it's it's you know not John Smith, it's Horace Bushnell. Um, we call him the father of Christian education. He lived before the turn of the previous century, eighteen nineteen hundred early. 1900s, and he was branded a heretic by the church, by the way, until he was dead, and then we celebrate him because of all the things he taught and said. The 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 thing that stuck with me the, the most was we should raise our kids in such a way that they never remember mm. not knowing Jesus. Wow. And so that is the goal. Like if, if you're a Christ-following parent, a believer in Jesus, and, and you're, you're blessed with children in the home or young children, you raise them to never know, hey... You, they, they never remember a time when they didn't know and believe in Jesus. And so for a lot of us in particular, there was not a one final moment. I didn't know about Jesus, and then somebody presented the gospel to me, and I became a Christian. Right. And we say that that's the part of a testimony, life before Christ, how you met Christ, and then how he's changed your life. But yet our kids may not have that moment. Mm -hmm. They may not have this oh, well, I was living on the... I mean, like, they may not have that hardcore, really dramatic right. Damascus Road kind of story because we took them to church, Which because is, we we're prayed in the home. They don't. Yeah. We right. spared they them don't a lot of stuff. Story. So in that vein, how do they begin to recognize yeah, yeah. the gospel story in their life when they don't have this dramatic pre-Jesus moment? Yeah. Hmm. It's a good question. It's a good, a good question. question. It's kind of something that we want to help them unpack. 
that regardless of our sin, how dramatic it was before, even if we weren't opposing Christ, our nature was until we recognize the gift of forgiveness that we get in Jesus. And what that helps them unpack and understand is Christ died for the murderer, and he also died for uh, the little kid who didn't really do that many things wrong. Um, he died for all. And mm. so that's kind of the picture that we want to paint. Um, so good. The grace, the grace gift that we've been given. What are the age and stage conversations that we need to have? I think something I like to think about, not necessarily age and stage because it kind of varies, but um, kind of three buckets, I feel like, is what we can we can look at. One of them is resources. Mm-hmm. One of them is opportunities. And and the other that we're kind of talking about a lot today is conversations. Yep, yep. So making sure that we're kind of identifying those three things at every age and stage. So are you are, are there resources in your home? Is there a Bible in your home that you're opening up? Is, is there an age-appropriate um, Bible or book or devotional or something that you're allowing your kids to work through and you're working I through it with that. them, like so an activity good. book or something like that that's allowing them to engage with the gospel and with the Word of God um, before you're putting them in Leviticus at the age of four, you know, like keep, like find spaces that work for them. So a lot of blood there. There's a lot. A lot of so blood. so, so resources. What resources? Right <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> what resources are you providing at home, and are you are you gleaning from church and from even things like this podcast like this? So that's one. The other one is opportunities, and for that, I think it's home and things like camps and church and Absolutely. so are you are you prioritizing the small group time right. and the Sunday morning time and the Wednesday night time are you prioritizing camps like thinking about summer all the things that we pick for our kids to do if you have a, an elementary or even gosh we we offer a preschool yep. camp at yep. church like are you giving opportunities are you prioritizing opportunities for them to hear the gospel again and have an opportunity to respond to it in some way. Are you doing that? Are you in outside your home? And are you providing those moments in your home? Are you going to taking your kids to dinner and just talking about Jesus mm. and faith with them? Are you providing spaces for that? So, so the resources, opportunities, and then just conversations. And and I we kind of talked about this with story, but the fact that per, talking about the gospel with your kids is not a sprint. You're not you're not trying to race to the say yes to Jesus. Whew, okay, we're good. Like it's a journey, and you're going to talk with them about Jesus and about faith. And it's going to, there's going to be hills and valleys in that conversation. Mm -hmm. And that's the beautiful part of it because we still walk through hills and valleys with our faith. We're still asking questions. We're going to keep asking questions till the day that we see Jesus. I want to say that every moment is a teachable one. It is. And so providing those opportunities for our young children and starting those conversations for our young children, but then revisiting them with our older kids and reminding them, hey, you came to faith at a young age and, and look at the trajectory of your life. And now you're encountering all these things as a teenager or a young adult, and you go straight back to, how would the gospel have made this situation different? Hmm. How would this friend, knowing that God created them and loved them and sent his son to die for them, make this dynamic different? And then they start to realize the gospel is powerful. Uh It's not this transaction that happened between me and Jesus. It's a transformation that occurred in my life. Um, and we want them to see that because then once they see it and recognize how good it is, they'll continually want to share it with other people. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm glad you you guys talked about opportunities because that's that's what I feel all the time for the next generation is providing mm-hmm. them with opportunities to be able to engage with the gospel, even if they are Christ followers, that the gospel engages them in different ways. And you yeah. you, be, you work out your salvation, you grow in your salvation, right? And um, and so I see time and time again um, 
kids and students who have these opportunities, um, it awakens something in them that um, that you can't manufacture. Yeah, you can't you can't you can't just produce you know, on a whim or whatever it is that, that, that we're intentional with gospel moments and teaching them about the gospel. And that's, that's including small group times and, and weekly programming. And, mm-hmm. and the, the, the last thing we want them to, to hang on to is just, Hey, it's just about the big moments in their, 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 their spiritual growth, the camps, the retreats, mission trips, get them on mission, please get them on mission. It's, it'll impact their lives. But it's also the daily as on the daily, how do we teach them the gospel the daily or the weekly? How do we give them opportunities to engage with the gospel on the the weekly? I think the the other thing is their kids are curious; they're naturally curious, and so don't imba- abandon their curiosity. Lean into their curiosity. Ask ask questions. Create an environment where they can, you know, inquire about it. Welcome that that curiosity. Don't. Um, uh, just for, for them to help uh, them understand and foster a deeper connection with the with the message, right? Um, as somebody once said, a curious mind is open um, to new discoveries. A curious mind is open to God's dynamic and creative work in the world. Um, so it, uh, going to Bible characters who are curious that led to discovery, Moses towards the flaming bush, talks about hmm. Abraham asking, mm-hmm. um, what what can you give me? And how will this be? And God answered in Genesis 15 or shepherds scurrying off to Bethlehem to, to find baby Jesus because they were curious about who this baby was. And so curiosity is good. Wise men who wandered for yep. ever, ever to find this kid um, that they knew would shape the world. There's a ton there. I love um, the idea that this is central to everything that we do. Um, the idea that talking about grace and love, uh, we will will never exhaust it um, in our lives. That's right. Ever once. Like, we'll never get, we'll never graduate the idea of, well, I've learned everything there is to know about grace, learned everything there is to know about God's love, so I'm ready to move on <laughs> right. to chapter two of the story. That's, That's it. Right. That's the story, um, to know that grace and love exist. Mm-hmm. And so when we make mistakes, when we're impatient, when we're frustrated, when we rush, that's a gospel application right. moment. Yep. I still need God's forgiveness in my life to transform my heart and make me different, more like Jesus, um, and you do too. The way that we apply forgiveness to other people, the way that we we offer grace to others, and the way that we're willing to tell the gospel story. You talked about the open-ended questions at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. One of the things that we can ask our kids at different ages and stages along the way is, how would you tell somebody about Jesus? Mm. And how they would tell somebody about Jesus is their understanding yeah. of Jesus in that moment. That's really good. And as a mom or dad, you realize, oh, there's some things that I need to unpack a little differently at this right. age and stage because we're veering towards works or we're veering towards a pluralism or we're veering towards something that we know is not gospel-centered, so we want to get back on track with yeah. what what the goodness of Jesus is yeah, and what he offered to sure. us. That's great. And and I think that um, obviously children learn through observation. If we're going to uh, kind of wrap this up, to a degree, I'd love to give this Paul Tripp, um, Paul David Tripp. We we love Paul David Tripp. He's, He's a so good author, pastor, and he says this: If God's plan really is to make His invisible grace visible by sending parents of grace to give grace to children who desperately need grace, then I'm called not just to preach that grace, but to live and model it for my children every day, and to acknowledge how much I need it. Yep, that's it. 
that's the essence of the gospel, um, that we've been given something that we don't deserve. I do remember a moment in being able to discipline my kids, and uh, and they kind of knew, like they've each gotten to this point where it's like, oh no, this was the thing. There's probably going to be a punishment attached to this, like or a consequence for this action. And, and as parents, we do discipline our children. Scripture says God disciplines those who He loves, and so us applying that is right and good. Um, but there was a moment when we were able to sit down and say, hey, you know that because of this, you deserve a consequence. Like you deserve, like you're going to have to deal with something. That's mercy is me withholding that. I'm going to withhold that punishment. That's me having mercy. Grace is me giving you something really good in its place. Instead, we're having ice cream for dinner. Um, and that's those are those little moments where we can say, this is what God did for us. We deserve a punishment but he withheld that. We didn't deserve his love, but he gave it anyway. Um, we good. never tire of talking about it. Um, and so maybe we just want to pray for that. Pray for the moms and dads who are listening. You are the primary disciple makers of your children. Good news is you're not the only disciple makers, but you're the primary. Like God's called you to communicate that goodness, to answer those questions, and to point them in the midst of all the craziness in the world ever more to Jesus. So let me pray for us. That's great. Father, thank you for this day. And we thank you for the goodness that we've received in Jesus, for the forgiveness of our sins, and for the calling um, to raise up a generation who knows and follows you too. Why? Not because they're good, but because you're good. Uh, not because they deserve it, but because you died for them. And so, Father, in everything that we do, we want to be communicating the grace that we've received and the hope that we have because of your son, Jesus. It's in his name that we pray and to his glory that we have all the conversations that we need to have in an ongoing basis with the kids that you've entrusted to us. We love you, and it's in the name of your son, Christ, that we pray. Amen. Amen. We're thankful. I'm thankful to sit with you guys yeah. um, every week for this season. Season one. Woo. Done. All right, so thanks for listening to this. If you have, for making it through it, if you missed an episode, go back and pick up the others and give us a message. Share it with friends and tell us what you liked about it. And even let us know conversations that you would like yes, to see us lean into. Awesome. Yeah. If there are ideas, you can send them our way. Family ministry page on the website has all kinds of, like Jennifer was talking about, resources, opportunities, and conversations, and we're thankful to be a part of it. So keep letting us know what you want to hear, and we'll dive into those things too. Thanks, y'all. What to Say When is part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Be sure to subscribe now as we take off on this incredible parenting journey together.